This is an ABC podcast. Hi, I'm Amanda Smith and this is Sporty, the thoughtful sport and exercise program. Hey, would you say you're a kind of outdoorsy person? Or at least every now and then, like to get out, you know, go for a walk in the bush, pitch a tent and camp for a long weekend, maybe. If you use a wheelchair, though, doing those sorts of things off the beaten track is really difficult. Nature just isn't all that accessible or wheelchair friendly. That doesn't mean you don't want to experience the great outdoors, though. In a moment, you're going to meet a man who's paralysed from the neck down, who's going bushwalking for the first time. And later, what's the current thinking about warming up before you get active? Ideas about warming up have changed a lot over the years, according to this physio. When I first started practising, I'd see a lot of cyclists and I treated this old uh, European cyclist and I asked him what he did for a warm-up and he said, we never warm up. In fact, when we were racing, if we saw someone stretching before a race, we thought, well, that means he's got an injury. There's a sign of weakness. Going camping, going bushwalking, being outdoors and immersing yourself in the smells and sounds and sights of the bush. It's physically demanding and satisfying and mentally rejuvenating. If you have a serious physical disability though, it's something you might never get to do. Unless... Yeah. Yeah, I'm lucky. I'm lucky. My name's Anthony Bartle. And I'm 39 years old. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Nice socks, Anthony. Oh, thanks. Are they the yellow ones? Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Love the bright colours. Yeah. yeah, we just need to put a helmet on. We can do some ragged stuff. Okay. okay. I'm not able to move by myself because I suffered a high-level spinal injury. So my spine's broken at cervical one, which is the highest level you can break your spine before you don't live anymore. So I can't breathe on my own and I can't move or feel anything below my neck, so my arms and legs. Anthony, do you so mind if I move your leg down? Yeah, go, go, whatever you need. Good spot. Okay. I can push yeah, this that's down a bit. Comfy. Is, is that a good position for your feet? Yeah, that'll do. Yeah, will do. What's happening, Anthony? My nurse here is applying a sling onto me, so I can be lifted out of this chair via a hoist. Can then be lowered into this contraption here called a trail rider. We don't want to lose you. That's happened before. It has happened before. Yeah, pulling out the side of a chair. Uh, it was a disaster. Arms in. Okay. Maybe I'll come over this side. So what? what's a trail rider? It's a weird looking thing. It kind of resembles a wheelbarrow. It's got one wheel at the back of it and then kind of handlebars at the front and so I can be carted around by a couple of Sherpas. So this is bushwalking yeah. when you're in a wheelchair? Kind of like I'm, I'm like King Tut, feel me a grave as they uh, can't be along. But you're about to take a trek into the great outdoors. That's right, yeah. Right. So we can just... We're keeping the swing in, Anne? Yeah, it'd probably be easier to keep it. Yeah, yeah. 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 safe getting it on. Yeah. 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 This is a pretty extraordinary contraption, isn't it? It's is pretty extraordinary. Can you push me back? It's a great thing to watch. can't push you back at the moment because we're hoisters. Oh, the arm's in the way. Yeah, it's what you hit. There we go. Ah, oh, perfect. Yeah. 
Perfect. Okay, there we go. I'm just going to flick the back up. Here we go. There we go. Oh, ready to roll. Anthony Bartle and a bunch of other people are spending this weekend in the bush at a YMCA camp. My name's Jason Allery. I'm the project coordinator for this Access All Terrain project. Uh, this weekend camping trip's all about getting people with a physical disability active in the outdoors. And you're a, you're a wheelchair user yourself, Jason. You have a, a spinal injury? Yes, I'm a quadriplegic. I have a spinal cord injury at C6, pretty much paralysed from the chest down. And when did that happen? Uh, that happened whilst I was on a snowboarding trip over in Canada back in 2011. And I just have a passion for the outdoors. I was always active before my injury um, and wanted to continue that afterwards and haven't let that now I use a wheelchair get in the way. So now this project's sort of come to life and being able to give others that same experience that might have been a little bit apprehensive about it or um, unsure if it was even possible, it's great to be able to give them that experience as well. Good day, fruit, not too hot. Yeah, it's beautiful, this isn't it? Come out. Um, sorry, Liz, just one sec. Um, yep, forward a bit more. Yep, that's it. Okay, then we can go around. Then we go around to the left. Oh, now we're going down a... Uh... Oh, look at this. <laughs> Woo! <Yeah. laughs> of this trail right, I can get it anywhere. Across a bridge, going over a river. Beautiful forestry, Anthony's a very old man of gums and... Yeah. Lots of wildlife through here. There's platypus in the Linda Creek here yeah. and fishwater yabbies and nice big eels. Oh, there's platypus in the river. Yeah. The wow, this is a serious bush track. It's oh, incredible, I... isn't it? <laughs> I'd never dream of this in a wheelchair. They go along the side of the... Is there a motor in this trail? I don't know. Yeah, there is. Uh, but also yeah, that's that, that motor. Motor. So yeah, that's that whining noise underneath you. Oh, it don't make it easier. Yeah. Oh, so you as a Sherpa don't actually have to be super, super strong. No, no, surprisingly not. It looks like you would have to be, but um, yeah, the, with the motor underneath. Oh, okay. Maybe, <laughs> maybe we're underselling ourselves. Whoa, this is a steep decline now. A sheer cliff face almost. Going down a long way now. Yeah, bring it on, bring it on. <laughs> now the impossible is possible. With everyone who's come on this outdoorsy weekend, they have a range of physical disabilities, including very severe ones like Anthony's. And as the project coordinator, Jason Ellery, knows from his own experience, it's just not that easy to get off the beaten track if you use a wheelchair. Uh, there's a massive list of issues or challenges, I guess, for people with physical disabilities accessing the outdoors. Obviously, accessing different terrains that you might encounter if you wanted to go camping somewhere. Also, challenges of uh, setting up tents and finding tents and other equipment, sleeping things um, that are going to be suitable for your needs. So you're, the idea of this camp is to make all that possible? Most definitely to give people an experience in a supported environment um, so then they can continue to camp in the future if they wish to do so. So how's it going so far? Good. Some of the people that have come along today, um, it's their first time camping and this afternoon we're going to 
get setting up our tents so getting that experience themselves so learning how to set up a tent from a chair or whatever mobility device they use and just working out ways and how they can do that that's what this program's about is um, giving them the opportunity to try it themselves just with the support there that they need so if they choose to continue to camp or do whatever they want to do in the outdoors that they've tried this with the support where they're not in a remote location trying everything for the first time. So let's meet another one of the participants on this weekend camp. Okay, so I'm, my name's Tamlin Dunn. I'm 44 years old and full-time carer for my daughter and love the outdoors. So now you have spina bifida, is that right? Yes, that's right. So that's something you were born with, so you've always used a wheelchair? No, I used to walk with sticks and calipers up until the age of 18. So how long since you've been camping, Tamlin? Primary school, so that was a very long time ago. <laughs> so how is this feeling? How, how do you feel about being away, camping, staying in a tent for the weekend? A bit nervous about that side of things, mostly just um, the whole bug situation. don't like bugs and creepy crawlies, so... <laughs> And there's a few of those around. Yes. <laughs> what about staying in a tent and putting up a tent and staying in a tent? Uh, yeah, that's a little bit daunting. I've never even tried to put up a tent before. So, yeah, setting up the tents, I think it's been allocated the whole afternoon because we might take a while doing that. So that will be interesting. Staying in the tent, that doesn't bother me. That'll be fine. Yeah. So how big a deal is it for you to be, you know, in the outdoors doing all this stuff? Oh, it's a huge deal, especially mainly because with my caring role for my daughter, we're inside a lot because she's not a big fan of outdoors and doesn't walk very well. So any chance I get to be outdoors, I take it. So your daughter has a, a disability? Yes. That's why you're uh, her full-time carer? Yes. Uh, yeah, a chromosome abnormality and intellectual disability. So this is a, a rare opportunity for you to be out and about doing your own thing, I imagine. Yes, definitely. It's me time. <laughs> yep. So what have you done so far? Tried the trail rider and some archery. They were great. Yeah, I've tried um, archery before and the trail rider was great. I hadn't tried it on an actual track before. How did that feel? Very daunting um, going down, especially with how steep it was. That was a bit, um, I wouldn't say scary, but... Yeah, I just held on a bit tighter, I think. Do you feel like uh, after this weekend you will want to do more camping, potentially? Not sure about the camping yet. You'd have to ask me that tomorrow. <laughs> but the trail rider, I definitely want to um, look into more. Well, the trail rider is very popular this weekend, allowing, as it does, people who use wheelchairs to go off track. Anthony Bartle is just coming back from his bush trek. And back on asphalt. Oh, that was fantastic. That was uh, down steep crevices and, uh, yeah, over bridges. Amazing. Coming out of disability when, when that happens. Is that how it feels? Yeah, when the, in this trail rider. Because uh, I've never been able to... I've never been able to venture to those places before. So, yeah, it's just liberating being able to do something like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Anthony Bartle, who has C1 quadriplegia. He was hit by a car when he was six. He can only move his head and uses a breathing machine, and he's up for anything by way of new outdoor experiences. He was one of the participants at the weekend Access All Terrain Camp, run by the YMCA, and designed to make outdoor activities and camping more accessible for people with physical disabilities. You're listening to Sporty with Amanda Smith. Coming up, what sort of warm-up and stretching should you do before you exercise? And also, another instalment in our Slow Sports series for when you want to do something physical but that's calming rather than agitating. warm up before you exercise or play sport? Do you need a cardiac awakening? What about things like stretching? Does any of this help prevent injuries? Gary Kanduff is the head of physiotherapy at the Olympic Park Sports Medicine Centre in Melbourne. So Gary, should we bother? I mean, I've heard everything from do it, do it this way to don't even bother. Fundamentally, what's the answer about warming up? I think that's a definite yes for me. It not only improves performance, but prevents injuries. All right, so what is it I'm warming up? My muscles, tendons, joints, uh, organs, my mind? Really all of the above. If I was going to put it in a very old and well-worn phrase, a failure to prepare is to prepare for failure. And injury prevention and performance enhancement are in fact the same thing. That if you have performed well, you have not become injured. So a muscle is basically a little motor which shortens and when it does so, it burns oxygen. Now when we warm up, we're increasing the amount of oxygen and the flow of oxygen to the muscles and then that improves the environment which that oxygen is actually burnt. So it makes the motor run more efficiently. Okay, so it's a little bit like running the engine on the car on a cold day before you you take off, yeah? Exactly right, yeah. Not only that, you can't consider the muscle without considering the nerve that supplies it. And there are also increases in efficiency of the motor nerve firing to the muscle from the brain and spinal cord and also the nerve receptors within the muscle that make it fire in a more coordinated and smooth way which is more efficient. And the net effect is that the individual strain on the individual muscle fibres is reduced. So what about my organs, my heart and my brain? Do I, how do I warm them up? Do I need to? Well, your heart and lungs are really controlled by muscles as well. The heart is a muscle and the thing that gets the air into those lungs is muscles. So you're warming those up as well. And breathing plays a vital role in increasing the amount of blood flow, but also in your relaxation and your preparation for your sport. Some people use breathing techniques to actually increase their arousal and their attention to the task at hand. Some people use it in a warm-up to calm them down. For instance, weightlifting that involves a very vigorous bout of muscular force energy. They will often huff and puff. You can see them when they approach. And that's a very specific way that they might get prepared for their sport. 
How has the thinking around uh, warming up changed over the time you've been a physio? Well, I remember when I first started practicing, I'd see a lot of cyclists and I treated this old uh, European cyclist and I asked him what he did for a warm up and he said, we never warm up. In fact, when we were racing, if we saw someone stretching before a race, we thought, well, that means he's got an injury. There's a sign of weakness. But now it's considered important across all sorts of sports, cycling included, to do a proper aerobic and muscular warm-up. Can we talk about stretching as part of that? I've heard about um, two kinds of stretching, static and dynamic, yeah? Correct. What's the difference and what should you do? Okay. Now, a static stretch is when you take the muscle to its limit and hold it there. And that, so that's when I'm trying to put my head on my knees, for correct. example. That's right. And really, this was considered to be a mainstay of a warm-up for many, many years. But the evidence shows that there is no effect or benefit of static stretching as a part of a warm-up routine. It does not prevent injury. However, if you're in a sport that really demands high degrees of flexibility, diving or gymnastics, for instance, it may be the sort of stretching that you would include as a part of a warm-up because you need to be able to increase your range. Now, dynamic stretching is the sort of stretching that you do when your muscles themselves take the opposing muscle through its range. So the muscles are basically controlling themselves, but learning to pay out length. Now, this is important, particularly in sports in which there is a high degree of what you call stretch and shortening cycles, such as in football. And the most obvious example is with hamstrings. The hamstrings help you run, but then they have to be able to relax in order to let you kick through the ball. If you're going to kick for a long distance, you need very, very flexible hamstrings, and you can't achieve that quickly. You have to warm up into it. So what's an example then of a dynamic stretch? So if you were just standing, you know, by your kitchen bench, for instance, with one arm on it and you let the opposite leg just swing back and forward, you might start with the knee just slightly bent so the hamstring doesn't really go through too much of a range. But you could make the range of that leg movement bigger and gradually straighten the knee as you're going so you can feel that the hamstring is stretching out and do it slowly and by degrees. Now, in the exercise classes I do, Gary, it includes a warm-up in it. I sometimes feel a bit exhausted just from the warm-up. I mean, what's too much and what's too little as far as warming up goes? Depending on, on the activity you're preparing for, it needs to be specific for that activity. You shouldn't be going and doing maximal efforts or, or sprint efforts. Everything should be very much sub-maximal. And I think as a warm-up for a normal exercise class, if you were to take yourself to the point where you were maybe able to hold a conversation but still have to stop to take a breath every now and then, that might be the appropriate level in that setting. Right, so you've got enough of breath to keep talking while, yes. you, while you're moving. Yes, but if you were going out then playing football, for instance, a warm-up might include a slow warm-up and then some repeated sprint efforts, but not completely at 100%. 
Well, as you've been saying, it's kind of warming up is kind of horses for courses, depending on the activity you're about to do. You mentioned cycling, and I know that cycling is your special sport. What would a, a cycling warm-up consist of nowadays compared to when you started with that that guy who told you it was uh, <laughs> never done, a sign of weakness? Just a sign of weakness and, you know, be the one we'd be targeting. Um, so... <laughs> With cycling, it's an activity that you do for a very, very long time and you're crouched in a position for a long time and so you have to prepare your muscles to be in that position for a long time. Um, your legs are the ones that cop the biggest beating so that a mild stretch for those before the activity but a gradual warm-up in terms of your aerobic effort. So cycling for a few minutes in a lighter gear is the way to go rather than hitting the road in your top gear and giving your full effort. Uh, in cycling in particular, the longer you go, the more you have to try and change your position and get out of the saddle and arch your back and stretch your calves. It becomes more important to warm down and stretch after cycling than other sports. Right. So, well, let's talk about warming down, cooling down, stretching after your activity. What's that about? Well, whereas the warm-up pre-sport is about preparedness to take part in that training or in that sporting event, the warm-down is about preparing yourself for your next training because you've got to be at your best for the next training. And so warming down is about making sure that you're flushing out all of the metabolites and all of the parts that make muscles stiff and sore as a result of activity that would stiffen you up and cause pain in the days following that would actually stop you from your next training. And so the idea is that you don't just stop dead and let the blood pool. That's a great recipe for dizziness and fainting. Um, but rather you keep on the activity but at a lesser rate. And Gary Kandaf is a physiotherapist. He's the head of physiotherapy at the Olympic Park Sports Medicine Centre in Melbourne. And this is Sporty, where we've been running an occasional series called Slow Sport. It's for if you're looking for an activity that works your muscles, but that calms you down rather than fires you up. So far, we've had a go at Tai Chi and at Archery. This time around, well, this person is the best in Australia at this sport. So I'm just going to step and roll. And there it goes. Hi, I'm Carla Krasanik and I'm a lawn bowler. Well, you're a world champion and Commonwealth Games gold medalist lawn bowler. Uh, when and why did you start playing lawn bowls, Carla? I started when I was about 15 years old. My dad played he got myself and my sister into the game and we sort of just would have a bit of a muck around after he finished penning on a Saturday and my sister got into it and then um, you know she needed someone to play with so we played a few tournaments together and once I started I got hooked pretty much. Why did you get hooked? What was the appeal for you as a teenager, this sport? I think it was just doing something different. Like everybody else was playing netball and basketball and tennis and those sorts of sports, which I played as well. But it was fun to be doing something different that no one else was doing. And I got lots of opportunities when I first started being a junior, you know, to travel and play in different places. So once you got started, you can't stop really. And how old are you now? You say you started when you were 15. 
I'm 28 now. Some people think it's young for a bowler, but to be honest, I'm one of the older ones now. There's plenty of young kids, Dani, nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds. Um, yeah, so I'm a veteran, basically. Well, what interests me is that I suspect you probably would have grown up with a somewhat different idea about lawn bowls to me because it has changed in who does it. I mean, when I was a kid, it was really exclusively old people. That was how I envisaged it as well. Um, you know, you see the pictures on TV of the oldies at the retirement village in all their whites and their little suitcase bowls bags and things. But once you actually start, you realise that bowls is actually a cool, hip thing to be doing these days. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that has become very popular is um, barefoot bowls, you know, which is a, a more casual social version of the game. What do you think of that? That's how a lot of our members got involved in the game. Most clubs these days run barefoot bowls, occasions where you can go down with your mates or your family and, you know, chuck a few bowls down, have a few drinks, and people tend to then realise that they like it and want to come down next weekend and have another go. Yeah, it's good like that. <laughs> All right, well, you want to give me a go? Show me, show me how it's done? Yeah, um, stand on the mat, make sure you've got on the right bias. What determines the bias on the bowls? Yeah, so lots of people often ask that, how do you make the bowl curve? Um, it's a very biased sport, <laughs> this one. It is a bit biased, but we don't actually make it turn. The bowl turns itself, so one side of the bowl is a little bit heavier. You'll notice that the bowl will have a big circle on one side and a little one on the other side. Always have the little ring on the inside, and then it'll turn the right way and not go off hoo-ha, nowhere near where you want. So it'll turn that way. Yes, that's right. the trick. Right. Okay. <laughs> and then bend and roll, that's it. Yeah, sounds simple, but quite uh, quite tricky to do. The main trick is to roll it, not bounce it, or else someone might tell you off. So yeah, bend and roll. And once you have a couple of goes, you start to get a feel of how hard you need to give it a push and how far out you need to aim. Okay, here we go. And roll. Ah, perfect. Really? <laughs> sort of. Sort of. Not really. Didn't go very far. <laughs> If you're not really sure how to get the shot, never be fearful of just chucking one up as fast as you can and hoping for the best. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> no, that's always always adds a bit of fun to it. All right, maybe I'll do that. Is it a calming sport to play? Ooh. Probably not. I think that's the misconception. People see people out there playing a slow-paced sort of game thinking, oh, that looks, you know, a bit boring. But in reality, once you get into it, it's not really slow-paced. Um, you know, obviously you're trying to win no matter what. So, no, it's, it's um, yeah, pretty full-on sport. Right. So, I mean, this is for a, a series about slow sport and you've just... Uh... <laughs> well, you're definitely not... You don't need to be able to run very fast and you don't need to be able to lift heavy weights or anything like that. So it's definitely a sport that um, I suppose takes more of the day up than running 100 metres, that's for sure. Well, as you say, it's not really a sport where you're running around getting sweaty, but does your level of fitness matter? Uh, yes and no. I think generally it's a sport that everybody can play. That's probably my favourite thing about bowls. It doesn't matter, uh, you know, whether you're, like I said, nine or 99, you can still play bowls. It doesn't matter if you can, you know, run a few Ks or you can barely walk to the refrigerator. It's a sport that everyone can have a go at. I think um, in the long run for someone who wants to play in an elite level, it does help to be fitter. We do play long days and spend a lot of time standing and lunging. So a little bit of fitness is good. What do you see as the sort of benefits of playing lawn bowls at any level? I mean, you're obviously at the top, but for anyone. 
The number one thing I think is being involved in a, in a club environment. There's people here at my club from all ages. So we've got lots of families. We've got some older couples. You know, we've got middle-aged couples. After Penna on Saturdays, we've got 100 kids running around on the green. So it really is a nice, big social family environment for sort of every sort of person. So that's one of my favourite things about the game. And obviously, like we said, just playing is a great way to, to keep active, to be outside, to get your vitamin D, I guess. And yeah, to be around people. It's not all about being super fit. It's just about being outside and enjoying other people's company. And Carla Krizanek is a world champion lawn bowler, a member of the Australian women's lawn bowls team called the Jackaroos. And hey, if you want to catch up on previous episodes of Sporty, they're all on the ABC Listen app and also wherever you like to get your podcasts from. If you subscribe to the podcast, you will automatically also, of course, get each new episode. Search on Sporty ABC. I'm Amanda Smith. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.